Dak Prescott throws a perfect game in Zeke's return. The Jets struggle with inconsistency, and a very lully interlow comes to an end in Europe. He is hands, I am feet. This is Football to Football. Welcome, everybody, to our inaugural episode of Football to Football. My name is Keegan. I am Feet because I'm our soccer guy, and he is Hands, at BestHands81. Hey, bye, Jess. How's it going? Good, good. I'm enjoying this new show that we have. Welcome, everyone, actually listening. Thank you for coming to the first episode, and we hope to uh, you know, spend a little time with you for weeks and months to come, maybe even years, but uh, I don't know. I'm 30. I'm getting old. Yeah, I have absolutely no idea how this is going to go. But, I mean, the basic idea here is we're both football fans. We're both football and football fans, meaning American football and soccer. Um, We have the convenience of having different favorite teams. So we can cover a multitude of things and just sort of see where we go from here. And we might have just a little bit of background knowledge from experience, just just a tad. I was but gonna I mean, say I played soccer from the moment I could stand until college, and you played football from the moment you could stand through college. Yep, just a little bit, you know, coaching some ball now, and uh, played a little semi-pro, and uh, yeah, just passionate about the sport, passionate about German soccer, passionate about the Jets. And uh, thankfully, I don't crash as much as they do. So we're here to talk. All right. So you heard there that, you know, Haynes is a, is a Jets fan and a Bayern Munich fan. I myself am an Arsenal fan and a Dallas Cowboys fan. So, you know, we get to cover AFC, NFC in the NFL, and we get to cover the Bundesliga and the English Premier League. Uh, really nice spread of topics there that we can cover. So I think sort of how these episodes are generally going to go is we're going to sort of base them off what has the biggest news for any given week. So we look back at, you know, this is our first recording. We're after week one of the NFL season. Uh, I think the most logical place is to just jump into the Cowboys. I would definitely agree. How about them Cowboys? How about them Cowboys? I tell you what. Over the past like three or four years, I've always done sort of a prediction of what I think the Cowboys are going to do during a season. And when I predict them to be really bad, they win their opening game really handily. Why did you predict them to be bad this year? You know, <laughs> it's it's a funny <laughs> it's a funny thing. I just there were certain things I didn't have faith in. One of them being it just seemed that over and over and again we were relying on on Jason Garrett and I think he's a great coach, but I think he hasn't been the next step coach for a while where you go, "Okay, this season then you've got to say this is the one." You've had him in here for a while. Let's hand him the play calling duties and see what he can really do. And then the Cowboys went and didn't do that. So I had this sort of concern that, okay, well, we've got someone new again calling plays. Maybe we're not going to be able to reach those heights. Yet we made the Giants look like a freshman high school football team. All right. So, I mean, we can just take a look sort of 
you know, big picture of the game, you're starting week one, one of your fiercest rivals, I think, when you think of football, Cowboys-Giants is a pretty big one. And, yep. you know, you had good news going into that game. Yes, Zeke only had, you know, maybe three practices, but you got your superstar running back locked down to a new deal. Exactly. That was huge for the Cowboys, and they still have two big contracts with Amari Cooper and Dak Prescott coming up. But I don't know how they're going to get them done. Jerry Jones seems to have this thing where he just elongates the contracts. But eventually, it's a salary cap league that's going to come in, and debts are going to have to be paid at some point. But he seems to have a formula and be confident that he's going to get these things done. But the more and more Dak Prescott comes out and throws up some 400-yard passing games, it's going to be harder for your Cowboys to lock all those players down. But to stay in the moment, I mean, you came out, New offensive coordinator and Kellen Moore, you, you had your defense firing on all cylinders. You know, that first drive looked kind of sketchy. Giants roll down. But then from then on, almost playing lights out, it's, it's not a great Giants team. But just shows you without your main pass rushers what your defense is capable of. You, you got to be a little excited here. Yeah, and just sort of stepping back to the contract thing, I have a question for you, actually. Do you think Jerry Jones is playing the waiting in game like he did the last time the collective bargaining agreement was expiring and trying to push salary cap hits, given that the collective bargaining agreement is due to expire in 2020? You know what? That's actually a great point, one I didn't think of. But he could very well be doing that as his strategy. He, I remember with the whole Tony Romo thing and everybody else getting need, that need to get paid, he found a way to do it then. Um, that might be a strategy. That's what a couple of these new quarterback deals you've seen with Carson Wentz and everything, people wanted to get him locked up before the new CBA so that, in theory, there was going to be more of a cap space they didn't want to have to pay their quarterbacks even more of an exorbitant amount so they wanted to get those deals locked passed through the new cba but here with dak and uh amari maybe maybe that's what he's trying to do yeah, leave you know some cap the, space so he can find a way to get everybody in yeah you know it, i mean everything coming out of that camp is that they are not concerned about these deals at all i one of the things i found particularly interesting was that the interviews with amari cooper he seems completely unconcerned and that for me is usually the best sign when the player and the management both show no worry publicly neither of them are waking, making waves it seems to me that you know they've decided behind the scenes okay these deals are going to be done don't worry about it we just need to sort out some timing and get things to fall where we want them to fall yeah that's that seems to be how it's going and you know what it's paying off for him. You know, Amari Cooper came out and balled for the most part. You know, had a couple drops. They were at least in tough areas of catching, and that's why the Raiders actually got rid of him. But he's produced ever since he's come to the Cowboys. And I tell you what, speaking of receivers, the biggest pickup you had probably this offseason was Randall Cobb. Well, Randall people Cobb don't understand a whole new level to that offense because you just can't legislate for what he's going to do on any given play. Exactly. He's so explosive. I know you, you miss your boy that went off to Buffalo, but Randall Cobb is way more explosive 
than Cole, and it's it's just adding another dimension, another target. And when you have Kellen Moore, which you have to understand, the whole reason Kellen Moore didn't succeed in the NFL was because of lack of arm strength. The intelligence was there, the brain was there, and coming out of Boise with that offense and that creativity, just what he was exposed to, it showed in that first game being able to spread the ball, being able to be ahead of the defense with play action, and just having answers for whatever the Giants defense tried. Now, I was actually at a Giants practice this offseason, and I could tell you their DBs are not very good. <laughs> I was just going to pick up on that. It looked like, um, you know, the Cowboys were really, really targeting. I think it's DeAndre Baker. Am I right in saying that? Um, they're, yeah, yeah, that's the rookie, the rookie corner. Let's put it this way. He's, he was, <laughs> he's not worth remembering right, as of yet. He might go He was down having the line. a torrid time dealing with um, Randall Cobb and Michael Gallup on that side. And they just went after him time and time again. I mean, and to the Giants' point, you have young corners. They left they left Amari Cooper one-on-one. Then to credit uh, Moore, Moore put trips away and left Amari Cooper one-on-one saying, hey, Giants, what are you going to do? They left him one-on-one. Okay, simple go route, and he's right by him. It, don't get me wrong, Amari Cooper set it up well. He's a great route runner, but he's also got great speed. And one-on-one with a rookie, it's just you, you got to think how you're not getting safety help even with the trips away from him and I think the, hey, the throw Cowboys made that, him pay yeah the throw on that play is a little underrated too because that is not an easy one to drop right in that spot without getting it contested in any way well we'll bring it when we go back to the Jets we'll talk about ball placement <laughs> this past weekend with Sam Darnold um, but you know Dak early on made a couple of throws and you're like eh well are you you really holding out here Dak and think everything's and everything's going to go great with a contract. You might be losing some points. And then all of a sudden he came in and made a couple of throws that were just right on the money. Uh, and that one to Amari Cooper in stride over the shoulder, only where he could get it. That, that was a perfect throw. And he, it just shows what he could do with time. Cause that offensive lines finally back together. And I tell you what, it didn't show up tremendously in the run game, but just the pocket, that you had to throw all day was beautiful and something as a Jets fan I'm envious in seeing. Well, yeah, I mean, it was is natural that we were going to come on to Dak, so I think we should kind of stick there. I mean, first game of the season, playing the Giants, he throws a perfect passer rating game. I mean, we're looking at 400 yards, four touchdowns, and he's going after eight different receivers with, with four different receivers getting touchdowns and seven different receivers getting catches. I mean, that's got to be, you know, scheming from Kellen Moore, right? To say, hey, listen, we are going to spread this. I'm not just going to have you be throwing the ball to Cooper and Gallup all day long. We're going to get other people the ball. Exactly. And you know what? That's the most important thing to do as an offensive coordinator. In the NFL, everyone wants to do matchups, and matchups are great. And specifically, if you want to get one guy involved, hey, we got to get Zeke the ball. We got to get him so many touches, and all that's great. But with so much talent that the Cowboys have, and I mean, Gallup is underrated, I think, as a receiver. But to be able to have him on the outside and Amari Cooper and all these targets and in back, you know, that your tight ends are. <laughs> 
they're a force to be reckoned with as well. You got Jarwin, but it's just to be able to say, okay, what are you going to try to take away? All right, you may try to take that away on this play, but we're going to keep you off balance by giving you different formations. You think we're going to run, we're going to play action, and we have a whole bunch of targets we can hit. You can't just key in on Amari Cooper because if you do that, fine. We got about five different targets we can hit, and we can hit with consistency, and that's what made me so excited for the Cowboys this season is I think they're one of the teams that are true contenders. They're with the what the Patriots are doing and everything else. There's few true contenders, I believe, right now. But the Dallas Cowboys, with what they got going on, I I, I honestly believe is one of them. Yeah, and another thing, sort of, you touched on there with the offensive line giving you know Dak all day. You're looking at what he had, uh, you know, 32 attempts, and he was only really defended twice, defended three times, maybe. I mean, no sacks. I don't even know if he was hit in the game, maybe once or twice. He just he could go wherever he wanted. And you also uh, brought up Blake Jarwin there. I think the return of Jason Witten will be something that will be really interesting to watch. How much of it is him coming back and really making an impact on the field? And how much of it is him coming back and sort of having a more mental impact um, in terms of both uh, you know, mentoring Blake Jarwin and just sort of giving some of these players confidence that this guy is out on the field and he's been doing it then longer than some of these guys have been alive. It seems like. Yeah. I mean, Jason, when you, you can't understate the impact he has as a, as a field general, as a captain one, he, he brings stability in the run game. Right, You have this great offensive line, and you have Jason Witten with all the intelligence he has, the strength. He's not going to be the fastest, but he never was. The, what the man does is he gets open, he blocks tough interiorly, and that opens the play-action game. So he doesn't have to be fast. He just has to be good at his job. He's going to get open, and he's going to catch the ball. You yeah, saw me, his touchdown. That's all it was. Because, oh, yeah. That's, <laughs> you know, that's exactly where I was going to go with that is you talked about opening up the play action, and you look at his touchdown, and even I believed he was blocking. You know, you could slow that play down and watch it on replay, and you'd still believe that he was blocking and not going to escape on that route, and he's by himself for six. Exactly. It's It was a beautiful chip route by him, a great call by Kellen Moore. You have a mobile quarterback like Dak. He can get to the edge, get to the throw, and before that cornerback can recover, he was peeking in the backfield, which as the DB coach, I'll tell you, you, you can tell kids, 16, 17-year-olds, hey, stop looking at the backfield, but you see even the pros do it sometimes, and that's what happens to you. You get burned by a 30-something-year-old tight end that can't run a 40 in probably 4.8 seconds right now. But again, it's not about speed. It's about technique, knowing how to set it up and running great routes. And that's how you get open. It's, it's all the minutia of route running and understanding the play. And to your point, he can pass that on to Jarwin who Jarwin has shown. He has some athleticism and pass catching ability last year even with a multi-touchdown game coming out party he can learn from Witten that's a guy going in the future that Dak Prescott can count on as a security blanket 
And it's funny that you touch on, you know, it's not, this position may not be, be about speed, but one thing that, that is about speed a lot of times is, you know, just speed to the ball on defense. And one of the big things that's they're talking about today is just how fast Chidobe Iwuzie was uh, on a play early on running down Saquon Barkley and from nearly the entire other end of the field stops a sure touchdown. I mean, if, if you're Barkley, you, you, you think you're gone. You've got nothing but green in front of you. You're trusting your speed. And holy shit, where does this guy come from? That that was highly impressive. And that just talks to the talent of the Dallas Cowboys I, on defense. I mean, you got Byron Jones there at corner. You have a stellar linebacker core. I mean, when Sean Lee is now your third linebacker option, um, cause when he's healthy, he's, he's a force to be reckoned with when he's healthy. He's he one of the, into- he's one of the very best in the league. And like you said, he's somehow third, you know, the third best when you watch him play right now. Yeah. Well, I, I had the pleasure of watching Jalen Smith at Notre Dame. I'm a Notre Dame fan being able to watch him on Saturdays, just being able to overcome that, horrific injury but knowing the type of player you had and he's balling out now he earned that new contract and you got van der Esch. i mean you, you have speed power and intelligence on that defensive side going after the ball and being able to diagnose what offenses are trying to do and that you got to have that you got to have that especially when you're facing teams like the rams and the saints in your own conference and then if you're looking at a super bowl trying to go up against the likes of the patriots with all that firepower the kansas city chiefs and i know that's way down the line but what i'm like i said what i'm excited for and thinking they can get there is just how they match up with being able to play so fast and intelligently on the defensive side of the ball that they probably have a good shot or at least as good of shot as anyone of competing at that level. Yeah, you you know, you touched on it earlier. You don't even necessarily have your best pass rushers on the field yet still if you're Dallas. And when you talk about getting these guys healthy or back from suspension, you know, do you start to consider the Cowboys as not only the best in the NFC East, but maybe right up there with the best in the NFC this year? Oh, easily, easily. I mean, you look at the Saints. They they had to kick a 58-yard field goal to beat the Texans. Now, don't get me wrong. I think the Texans are a good team. If they had a little bit more O-line help, whew, what they could be doing. But you have to just look at the talent that Dallas Cowboys have in general, and it's right up there with anybody in the NFC. And uh, if they can sustain this type of play calling, this type of cohesion – and have Ezekiel Elliott come keep coming along, then you got a team that's going to be extremely difficult to beat because they can spread the ball around and when they need to and play off football, when you're in a close game and need to run the clock out, that O-line and Ezekiel Elliott, who should be full go at that time, that's that's going to be very tough to beat no matter if you're the Eagles, if you're the Saints or the Rams. That's That's going to be a tough one. Yeah, and, and Jerry Jones talked about the benefits maybe of Zeke not featuring as much at the beginning of the season because you have a chance of bringing in, you know, probably the best rusher in the NFL right now, a little bit fresher later on in the season. But 
one thing I want to do here sort of is just look forward to next week. You know, you've got a chance to start off the season 2-0 and in the division um, exactly. by knocking out the Redskins next week. And how important is it to go, you know, really full tilt, whether you want to limit Zeke or not, maybe bring him in and, and give him a bit more carries than what we saw this week and really start to – you know, put the boot on the throat of this division all the way in week two. Well, here's what I'm going to tell you. I think that the fact that they have the Redskins and then the Dolphins after that is the perfect setup for the Cowboys to bring Zeke along slowly, which is what they need to do. Now, as part of the classes I took in college, took a basic athletic training course. Yeah, it's basic, but what I learned from that is from the trainer – when you're a football player, you need camp to be able to run in football games. What people don't understand is, and the NFL is trying to get away from, oh, the contact of this, of that. Training camp is important. So when you talk about these holdouts, what it's really important with is soft tissue injuries. And the Cowboys have even expressed this. And if you, you can look back a few years ago, wow, even more now so, but Darrell Revis, when he had a holdout, I was in that class and the trainer said, hey, watch. He didn't have the two weeks that you need. You need at least two weeks of camp to get your body ready to play full games. He said he's going to have a hamstring injury. What happens? Pulls up with a hamstring injury, famous catch Randy Moss, and then he was plagued for the rest of the year and went from an elite corner to – Injury hampered. Now, in a season where you have all these things lined up, the last thing you want is Ezekiel Elliott with a hamstring injury that plagues him, and he's coming back, and then you got to manage that. So I think just giving him a couple more carriers, carries, excuse me, leading into the Redskins and then the Dolphins game where you don't need him as much is the perfect way to get him ready for that next game against the Saints, which is probably the perfect target date you want for him to be full go and be able to use him as much as you need. Yeah, it also gives you the opportunity to give Pollard some more work and see what you really have there in a player, you know, in full speed NFL competitive game. You know, it's not just preseason anymore. We're seeing some flashes. We're going to say, hey, look, I mean, sort of like what you're touching on there, Zeke, even though he's physically in a good spot, he's not really Matt. I mean, you know, to borrow a, a soccer term here, he's not really match fit yet. So we've got the, the opportunity to give him some carries, get him up to speed, but also still see what we have, you know, in, in running back number two here. Exactly. Cause the last thing you want is to have all the talent there and then an injury ridden season, but injury plagued injury, whatever, you know, it's just uh, – I'm sorry. I'm getting into the getting into the Jets and staring into the abyss of well, <laughs> transitioning into that. I was about to make that transition. <laughs> you don't want to be like me. Okay, yes, get Pollard there because you never know when it's next man up because we have all the next men up in, oh. in New York here. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, I mean, that's <laughs> – you can't ask for a much better transition than that when we're just winging this nonsense. So – we're looking at the Jets. You guys hey, hey, also. We're professionals now. <laughs> we're professionals now. Hardly. <laughs> You've got the Jets. A similar situation to the Cowboys. You get the chance to open up against a division rival at home. And 
you come out of that with an injury list that I have to <coughs> scroll through. <coughs> yes, I, I, excuse me. I'm sorry. We're Jets fans. We, we're used to choking. Um, but you've also got a, you know, you've got a lot of inconsistency here to sort of pick apart because if you look at sort of the the statistical models for this game right up until the end there you know everybody had you winning this game it was over a 99 percent chance that we were winning that game and that was based off history so the jetsiest thing to do there was to find a way to choke that lead i'm, I'm telling you up 16 nothing i was like hey the offense isn't looking great. But talking about running backs coming back, Le'Veon Bell scores the touchdown. He gets the great catch on the two-point conversion. It was one of Sam Darnold's best balls you saw all day. You have room for hope. You're like, hey, we're in the driver's seat. We're forcing turnovers. But that always comes back to bite. Four forced turnovers and a safety by the defense. You can't ask any more from them, but you got to get points. You just have to get points, and the Jets weren't even able to make field goals. And we'll talk. I'm not even going to go into the debacle that is a goal kicker because the GM Mike McCagden has hurt this team so very much. It's it's insane. But I mean, when the kicker's not screwing up, the long snapper screwing up, the whole kicking situation right now is abysmal. And that doesn't excuse the offense for not getting more points. I mean, yeah, I mean, I heard I'll just dive rumors into... of, uh, of kicking tryouts on Tuesday, and I thought about driving down, you know, being an ex-soccer player. What the hell? <laughs> Get a week of a I mean, know, everybody was going minimum. on YouTube, hey, Jets, sign me. I mean, <laughs> there's a guy that flew out from Utah with no promises. He called up the Boomer and Carlton show, was trying to get a tryout, and uh, they end up sign <laughs> signing a guy that the Rams used to have, and it's just – it's a mess. It's a mess. I'm not – I, I, I don't even – the Jets are a mess. You know, I, I had hope going into this season. I, I did because with the way the defense was shaped and the way the offense was looking in the preseason as a fast pace, you, you thought you had something. I thought the Jets could honestly go 9-7, and seven, possibly get that last wild card spot and really propel themselves into next season, possibly with the new GM <laughs> – being so big on offensive line, you thought Douglas, hey, give him a draft, see if he can improve this offensive line, see what we could do, and it just it didn't end up even getting off the ground because you lose that game to the Bills, 17-16, you choke away against a division rival, you have a horrendous schedule for the next six weeks. Minus the Browns, because I think they're pretenders, but we don't even have our starting quarterback. Well, so, just before we get to you have, the starting quarterback issue, I mean, you talked about the defense. Does holding the the Bills scoreless for almost three entire quarters, does that sort of give you hope that there's there's a bounce back here somewhere where you can, you've got something that you can actually rely on and under better circumstances you might be able to to lean on a little bit more heavily? Well, here's the thing. Williamson down in the preseason was huge loss at middle linebacker because we had the strength of our defense being as a very solid, very good, underrated middle linebacker next to C.J. Mosley with the Williams, <laughs> the Williamses in the middle. And it's 
it's like, okay, try to go through the middle of that defense. That's where our strength is. And then you got Jamal Adams right in the leading the defensive backfield. You knew your corners were a little weak, but you said Tremaine Johnson's best season came with Greg Williams. Okay, insert Greg Williams again. What are we going to do here? And that hasn't panned out, but you're hoping you're hoping before the season, hey, he could scheme some zone blitzes, create some pressures, and with the strength of the middle, we're good. Williamson goes down, but you still came out. It, it, they were moving the ball. They were playing like mad in the Bills. They didn't know what the run game was for the first half, but, uh, you know, they, they were moving the ball, but we created turnovers. We're getting after things, but as soon as C.J. Mosley came down, twenty pieces, then Quinnen Williams goes down, and we're just getting gashed in the run game. There's just too many injuries right now as a Jets fan to expect much more. You know, you, you had some pieces you felt good about, but there was a very big lack of depth, and that's from Mike McCagney having horrendous drafts, so much so that our third-round pick, Polite, got cut as soon as McCagnan left. Yeah. He didn't even make the roster. It was a third-round pick this year. Yeah, you're expecting more from the first you know, five, five rounds, really. And the fact that you've got someone that you've picked up in the third round that's not even on your roster for week one, That's you know that stems from way above the coaching staff. Exactly. And, you know, I, I honestly think Douglas is going to do a good job. I think he's doing the best job he can with what he has. But, I, I mean, it's it's a house of cards right now, and he's trying to have Band-Aids stick up here. I mean, so adding on to the injuries, you have Quincy Inunua, which, again, Mike McCagnan, as much as I love what Quincy Inunua turned into, as tough of a receiver as he is, as many plays as he can make breaking tackles, the guy's always hurt, and you extend him to a multi-year big contract, and unfortunately, he he has another neck injury, and for another year, he's out for the season with a neck injury, and we're only in week two. And that's when he brings in Demarius Thomas. I mean, we trade with the Patriots. How crazy for a is that? Pick next you, year. you got I, a it's, trade it's deal with the Patriots. And I mean, you know, the the Patriots know they don't need Demarius Thomas, and he's definitely over the hill. But the the main thing there is he knows the system from his time in Denver with Gase. So, and and Gase came on, and he he criticized the the current. Res- receivers even when Quincy was in there there were conversion routes that they did not know and you even heard Sam Darnold say hey no it was just a miscommunication he was trying to you know save his receivers but all that saying is based on coverages you have to convert some routes into the open spaces Jets receivers were not doing that and guess what (laughs) now insert Demarius Thomas he doesn't have to be the most athletic version of himself right now the fastest version of himself right now nor the best version of himself right now but what he needs to do is know where to go and hopefully with his knowledge of the offense in the past he knows where to go so at least the quarterbacks can have him as an option because you cannot hold on to the ball with this offense line as it is right now i actually don't think it's horrible i think it's improved but unfortunately they've had no time to work together and that creates problems. 
Well, and you have, you know, your fair share of, of question marks, even on the line right now, you both the left tackle and the right guard are, are listed as questionable going into week two. <laughs> like I said, there's, there's not enough time in this entire show to talk about the injuries of the jets. <laughs> and that's exactly why I told you just keep Zeke healthy right now because the jets it's just we don't have enough time. Everybody is hurt. Everybody's injured. Sam Darnold has mono. When's the last time you've heard of an NFL player out with mono? I mean, well, I this did. is insane. I, I said it before we started recording. It sounds a little bit ridiculous. You're kind of think you're there thinking, well, okay, your quarterback needs a nap. Can that really keep him from playing? <laughs> Yet the the interviews are that he's probably not going to play next week and that could be extended exactly in high school football you have to deal with this i i remember i had teammates that missed most of the season with mono and a lot of it stems from hey guys sharing water bottles and not cleaning water bottles and this this all stems from that but you have an nfl run organization with all the cleaning and health techniques they they use and just a freak thing that hey sam darnold has mono that's just the the cherry on top of the absolute pile of dog fecal matter sunday that we got going on right here so i saw you going after somebody i don't even remember who it was going after somebody on twitter about sam darnold's performance you know, do you th- you think that with an illness like this, you're looking at a couple of underthrown balls that people are blaming on receivers, but really you tend to think um, he just didn't have it in him to, to get the ball where it needed to be? Well, the one thing you saw is, and, you know, I actually didn't want Sam Darnold coming out in the draft. I, I wanted Josh Rosen personally and, you know, Sam Darnold has shown some things, but just judging him based off his USC career, I thought he was a turnover machine. Yes, he had an arm, but he just didn't really strike me. Last year, he showed some things, especially at towards the end of the season. That time away when he got injured and being able to step back and see how things were done by Josh McCown looked like it did wonders for him. And then all of a sudden, we get to week one and all of my fears were reimagined, not so much the turnovers, but just not being able to hit open receivers and being late with passes. Uh, he had a throw to Robbie Anderson in the back of the end zone uh, over the middle in a post. And you lead that pass and put it where only Robbie Anderson can get it. You hit him in stride. That's a touchdown. Now, Robbie Anderson could have went up for it, and he normally does go up for passes and make tough catches in traffic. He even had one where Sam Darnold shouldn't have thrown the ball later, threw the ball right at the defender, and Robbie Anderson stepped in front and took a big hit and made a catch short of a first down on a third and ten, got nine yards. But that's why it was surprising for him not to go up for the ball. But to get back to the point, you got to put that ball in front of the receiver. He had him beat. He was late on the throw. He didn't put it in front. And you had a defender trailing able to make up ground because Robbie Anderson has to slow down for the ball and that puts the defender on his hip and the defender just luckily hits it because he throws an arm up doesn't even see it then later on a third and one you're looking I'm thinking oh Sam Darnold can easily run for this first down or dump it to the back on a crucial third and one later in the game and he decides to go deep to Robbie Anderson and he underthrows him again now I had all this thoughts of 
wow, this is what I feared. But now that here he has mono, you think maybe he just didn't have the full strength. And that's when it started. Because even when he did interviews on the Michael K show on Monday, he didn't sound totally himself. He, he sounded a bit off. You could hear it a bit in his voice. So you think, hey, okay, at least there's an excuse. He's He was weak. That's why he's running around. He's sick. He, he doesn't get all those throws. And unfortunately, you have no excuses when it comes to the NFL. But it, it makes you feel better that when he comes back, hopefully that's not the norm and he can get back to a level that he showed late in the season that was actually one of the highest rated quarterbacks in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I took away from this game, you know, not having watched most of it myself, um, is one of the things that over the years there's been plenty of stats where you go, oh, the team with these kind of stats do really well or the teams with these kind of stats do really well. You know, the Jets got two interceptions, two recovered fumbles. You were winning that turnover battle. or Well, let's face it, you won that turnover battle quite handily. And you still come away with nothing. And that's, that's really concerning because if you can't, you know, dig out a win when you're doing all those things, right. And getting some of those real key performance indicators, right. You know, where, where are you supposed to go with that? And that's the problem. You bring in Adam Gase. He's supposed to be the quarterback whisperer. We're supposed to have the offense moving. And if it wasn't for Le'Veon Bell, the, the Jets, the Jets offense would be in massive trouble. I mean, don't get me wrong. <laughs> you have a slot receiver now that we got from the Redskins. Thank God your Cowboys don't have to see him anymore. But if it wasn't for Le'Veon Bell, the Jets offense wouldn't it wouldn't even had a chance on that last drive. He had a fourth and one. He's stuffed by two people in the backfield. Hasn't played a game in over a year. And just how great Le'Veon Bell is the testament to him is to be able to brush off those tackles and fight for a first down when the play was just dead in the water and then he he scored the only eight points the offense had the entire game so so you I mean but besides him and Jamison Crowder getting 14 receptions for 99 yards you, you didn't really have an offense that sustained enough to 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 merit just just giving that defense a rest and getting some points on the board i mean you score 20 points you win that game and the the defense spotted you eight points they scored eight points by themselves you got to be able to win that game if you want to do anything in the nfl yeah, and I think one of the things you may have done is jinx yourself pretty hard a little bit earlier on because you say you know your your schedule looks terrible except for the Browns, but you've got to deal with the Browns next with your number one quarterback gone. You know, it's injuries across every single position that you've got a team reeling from a game they should have won and now dropped. You know, as much as pretenders as they are, are you worried about Cleveland coming to Jersey? Oh, I'm totally now. If we had Sam Darnold at least in there, I, I felt confident. Greg Williams, you know, he was the interim head coach of Cleveland. He intimately knows that roster in Baker Mayfield. And I honestly believed coming into this season that the whole wheels would fall off the Browns week two. 
they actually lost big time week for the Titans. But week two, I was thinking for those reasons, Greg Williams is going to find a way to pressure and beat up Baker Mayfield with a terrible offensive line. Because that's what people don't understand. You can have all the skilled players in the world. If you can't protect your quarterback, he has no time to get it to those skilled players. You have a great running back, great. If he's tackled when he's getting the handoff, doesn't mean anything. And that offensive line for the Browns is weak. And once you get Baker Mayfield frustrated with his hot-headedness, and you add on the receivers and Odell Beckham Jr., who's already talking about how Greg Williams is dirty and he's already has things in his head. You got those guys arguing with each other. It's going to melt down. People don't understand. This is not a video game. Sports, real sports in real life, people have to get along with each other to some point to be able to work on the field yeah, yeah. it's not just this computer ai that's gonna be a 99 overall so they're just gonna win the battle no there is such a thing as chemistry well you talk about um you know the the personal side of it and obviously as a cowboys fan i hate odell beckham jr with a fiery passion is he is he trying to make excuses already? Do you think he's trying to drum up a way to be like, okay, well, now if I take one big hit in this game and we lose, I will be able to go back and say, well, I called this. They they played dirty and they did this to me. I wouldn't be surprised at all because you got to think about it. And this is this adds on to the pressure that's going to be on Odell, which is why I thought it would come to a crumbling mess with a Greg Williams designed defensive play scheme for the Browns because he's coming back to MetLife Stadium for the first time. He hasn't been able to stop talking about the Giants and how the Giants wronged him and everything else by paying him and drafting him and sticking with him, even though he got in battles and lost against kicking nets. I mean, the guy is, is a total joke. He's a he's a unworldly talent. There's, there's no doubt about that. But the hype that surrounds him because of that talent is – insane because he's a video game receiver you said it yourself he's a video game receiver he's a guy with amazing ability you know and i obviously i hate to admit that but he was a guy with unreal ability and just a head on him that didn't match and that's that's precisely it and you when you have people that can so easily be picked and prodded I mean, think of when he think of when he played the Panthers and they came out after him and the sledgehammer and everything else, and he ends up getting kicked out of the game. Like he's he is mentally weak. He is mentally weak, and when he comes back to MetLife Stadium and he wants to prove everyone, hey, you wronged me, and I'm I'm gonna score a bunch of touchdowns, and it's Monday night football. All lights are on me, all eyes are on me across the country, nationally televised, and all of a sudden things start to go back bad for him, or he's not getting enough catches thrown his way because Baker Mayfield's <laughs> on his back. He's gonna crumble. He's gonna get in Baker's face, and it's all gonna come crumbling down. Now that could still happen. But if C.J. Mosley isn't in, if Quentin Williams isn't healthy, and if the Jets' offense can't at least stay on the field long enough to give him a break, that may not come true. And this Browns team might have gotten the the team they needed just to sustain (laughs) 
long enough to have a couple weeks of, hey, let's ride this thing out and things are good before they have to get into the meat of their schedule and realize, hey, we're not who we thought we were. Okay, real quick then, if, you know, with all the issues the Jets are facing and, you know, the worry that you have, what is, what's the one thing they've got to do in this game to make sure that they don't start this season 0-2? Get Le'Veon the ball. That's, that's the only strategy you have right now. Demarius Thomas, he's not going to practice till Saturday. So any playing he's going to do, it's not going to, chem, as we said, chemistry with the Browns, chemistry is not going to be there. Robbie Anderson, yeah, he's a deep threat, but you got Trevor Simeon in there now. How, how much can he consistently get him the ball? Uh, at least you have the second week of the offensive line gelling together if those players are there. But Khalil, I, I know he's a former All-Pro. He, he's in the twilight of his career. But the one thing he should be is smart, and he, he needs to be able to call out the defenses. And what people don't understand is that's probably the number one thing that hurt the Jets last week, their offensive line, is Khalil admitted he screwed up some calls and misdiagnosed what the defense was doing in their defensive fronts. And all it takes is the center calling out something wrong and now everybody on that offensive line is doing the wrong job. So whether they're smart, they're good or not, they're all going the wrong way because of what the center calls. And until he fixes that and hopefully getting in some film study in another week, he does, the Jets offensive line is going to be in trouble. But if you can get Le'Veon Bell out of the backfield, specifically third down dump offs, get him the ball in space, get him some first downs, that's going to be crucial because the Browns are going to come in and they're going to look to get after the quarterback because they got they got some dudes that can do that. All right, so two final things before we move on from one football to another. Um, week two, quick fire predictions, Dallas versus Washington. Who wins? Oh, easy Dallas. I know, I know Washington came out against the Eagles and punched them in the mouth. But they ended up choking away that game. I don't see the Cowboys doing the same. I think the Cowboys roll. Yeah, I agree with that one. And uh, Cleveland at New York. Who wins? You know, even 24 hours ago, I, I still would have, not just my Jets fandom, I still honestly believe the Jets would have had a game plan that would have frustrated that offense enough. They would have gotten it done. But uh, right now, I got to say the Browns are probably winning this game just because I don't know that the Jets can band-aid enough people together to sustain a, a real fight. I'm actually going to be then the Jets guy on this call because I'm going to I'm going to say that the Jets <laughs> are going to win this. First episode of Jets guy. Hey, here we go Browns and here comes Keegan. Let's go Jets. I'm going to go with the Jets here because for one of the things that you mentioned, which is Odell Beckham Jr.'s headspace. And I think that the Jets can take him out of this game entirely. And then I think Cleveland will be able to do absolutely nothing. And that will be less than the very little that the Jets can do. And that will be enough to win. Well, as a Jets fan, I hope you're right. Hopefully they fight each other so much that they can't put a fight against the Jets. Because when you got people like Najoku running around too, and his homecoming, because he's a Jersey guy, it's it's a scary thought. But you know what also is a scary thought? Ugh, Arsenal kicking some butt against Watford. 
Oh, you're going to make that transition for me. All righty then. Let's go look at that. So interloli, very, very interloli. I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not a huge international guy when the international stuff doesn't matter. So interlols really suck for me. They suck even worse when there is almost no Arsenal players playing anywhere. And that's the sort of crazy thing when you look at Arsenal squad right now, they've got, you know, it's vastly improved this year, but there's no internationals for whatever reason, you know, and there's lots of reasons going on there. These guys are not on international duty right now. And one of the biggest acquisitions, obviously this summer, actually no, the biggest acquisition this summer was Nicola Pepe from Lille. He backs out of his international duty because he says, you know what, listen, my fitness isn't quite where I wanted it because I didn't make it to Arsenal's training camp until later on. I'm going to stay at the club, build that relationship a little bit better with Lacazette and Aubameyang, you know, build my fitness a little bit more. You basically have two full weeks to prepare for the team at the bottom of the table right now in England, in Watford, who has taken just one point from their opening four games. I, you know, you hate to say it because Arsenal has been one of those teams that could throw away just about anything. This one looks set for a three-year or a four-one victory for Arsenal. I, I would tend to agree. You know, I mean, looking looking at their previous game against Tottenham, they they, they started off. You know, you had the penalty after the goal given up in the tenth minute, so you had every every reason to just lay an egg but the fact that they came back they fought back and they scored two goals to at least bring it to a draw that's that's something i I mean you as an arsenal fan should walk away with and at least hang your hat on i know you're not having the start to the season that you want yeah you're fifth in the league right now i mean unfortunately as an arsenal fan you know it it's funny that we go from jets to arsenal because although arsenal's typically better than the jets typically are it's kind of the same story it's as jets fan we always say same old jets no no matter what coach or what team we put out there they always find ways to look the same you know arsenal no matter what players you you put out there and i don't mean this as offense to you but you always seem to be finished fourth in the table now yeah you're you're sitting where you're normally at right now (laughs) (laughs) i think there's a bit of there's a couple of good things here for arsenal obviously look i mean look we're in we've played four games already so there's a whole bunch of things that i could cover try going backwards to unpack some things but you know the one thing that you look at now is you know have what what's changed this season that makes me think that coming back from an international break like this we could go away from home you know, typically the past three, four or five seasons, however you want to look at it, our waveform has been horrendous. Why do I think we can go into Watford and, and demolish them? And it's because you've got a structure in place now that's acting like a big club. You may not have the players across all positions yet. I would still say your back four that is currently playing is a 12th or 13th place back four and that's obviously a serious problem but when you look at the front three you're looking at a front three that even Liverpool and Manchester City could be jealous of some of the things that are going on there so 
I look at what did we do this off season? We went and we addressed every need. Now I'm not going to sit here and say, I agree with every single move that we made, but there was a concerted effort to go after every single position that we had a problem in and do something about it. And so you've got that little bit going, you've got you know, chemistry sort of brewing up front. You've got some young kids in the midfield that have a lot more energy. The one thing that I find amusing right now is that Granite Jacka is basically the club captain, but Unai Emery refuses to acknowledge him as the club captain because I think we're one or two weeks away from him earning a spot on the bench and losing his place to a 20-year-old who is playing league de two seasons ago in Matteo Guendouzi. And so I look at this right now and say, we've got young energetic midfielders. We've got an absolutely elite attacking setup that doesn't get you, you know, what you need in the top six games. But when you play that mid table or that lower table team, it does get you what you need. I and mean, you can go out there and rely on those guys to get the job done. And I think you're just going to have too much for Watford. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with you that that firepower, that that front three is pretty darn lethal. And, you know, watching watching that game against Tottenham, I, I find it funny that you have so much praise for this front three because I, I need to ask you. How does it feel to knowing you and your style of soccer? How does it feel to know they're playing the style that you're anti right now? Fast pace wingers crossing it in the box. Like what is what are your take on that? <laughs> well, obviously, look, I grew up with Arsene Wenger ball. It was the quick possession. It was neat. It was pretty. It was really, really fun to watch. And right now, the team, you know, it's just not necessarily set up to do that, especially against the big six. I think you look at some of these other games and say, what are our strengths? And that is pace and quickness. And so maybe we have to to move to that a little bit. The other thing I would say about the Tottenham game is that there was no midfielder on the field until Ceballos came on later in the second half. There was no one linking the midfield to the front three. So you had this just huge gap, almost acre gap between the midfield three and the front three. So your only option really was kick it and let them run. And it's not attractive. It doesn't look great to watch, <laughs> but. Oh, you... I think it looks fantastic. <laughs> Well, it's, you know, it's one of those things where at the end of the day, a really quick move from, you know, I mentioned Gunduzi before, a really quick move from Gunduzi, not three minutes after Aubameyang is moved into central striker after Lacazette comes off and he's sneaking in behind two defenders and just getting, you know, the bottom of his studs on the end of a pass. And you say, well, you know, maybe a little bit of directness here right now where the where the club is at is not a bad thing. Yeah, no, I, I mean, here's what I'll say about Arsenal. I, like I said, that front three, I, I like that style of play. I like being able to send crosses in, get headers, get rebounds. I think that puts a lot of pressure on defense. And you know what? Credit to your manager for playing the style that fits your players right now and i agree 
when you brought in Cabello, that that added a new Cabello. Wait, I'm gonna pause you there. Sabellos. Wow. <laughs> Either way, Sabios. I mean, I'll, Sabios. I'll, I'll give yeah. you all sorts of bastardizations Spaniard. of that We're name. We're just gonna but... call him Spaniard. Uh, <laughs> um, Como te amas, Eris too. Uh, Sprechen Sie Deutsch is what I do. So, um, <laughs> although Ozil's even on your team and he's German, but he's more Spanish, and I guess that's why he felt left out. But that's that's a whole another story that I don't want to get into. The one thing I will say is, if you can't beat Watford and you can't put a palming on Watford, you're in for a Jets type season, my friend. And I do not wish on anyone. But that's I, I do believe your offense will be plenty to beat Watford. It was at the bottom of the table and just not putting anything together right now. The one thing I will say about your team that reminds me of my team is, as you pointed out before, that back four, more specifically the back two. And I know you got David Luiz back there and you got Socrates. I don't care if it's Socrates, whatever. I call him Socrates. You can call him Socrates. We're Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, Socrates is too busy philosophizing to play defense. And the goals you gave up. I mean, you look at the PK and you look at the the chances on goal and even the goal, first goal that was scored, that was just a total collapse by your two center backs. And that's where people are attacking. And then even though – you got a great keeper in Leno. There's only so much of the net. I know what you, you as a keeper can attest to, an ex-keeper. When you're one person, I don't care how good you are, that's a lot of net to cover. I have two great, or two, well, I think they're great, but two points about that goal that I find just ridiculous, that first one in particular, is that um, there's a guy over at Arsenal.com that does like a breakdown video after every game. He pointed out six mistakes within about six seconds that the center backs made that <laughs> that leads to that goal. I mean, it starts with Socrates running up and challenging for a header that he's he, he's never going to win. I mean, even he, he basically goes to help Jacka win a header, and the only way he was going to help Jacka was if he put him on his shoulders because neither of them got near it. Then David Luiz does this thing where he anticipates a pass much earlier than it's come. And, you know, if he if that pass went, he would look like an absolute genius. But the problem is, if you don't do that and the pass goes, you're in an okay position. If you don't do that and the pass doesn't go, you're in a position to help. So you really pick the worst possible choice because if you go and the pass doesn't, you've just taken yourself completely out of it. And then you start looking at Socrates is jogging lightly back. Erickson runs off his shoulder. He never looks to see that he's there. I mean, Socrates is actually a fast guy when he gets up to speed, and he had plenty of time to get up to speed. I mean, he's not an agile guy, but he had plenty of time to get up and run. And he's just... He's nowhere. And the second thing was I saw people actually it was one of the stats websites going after Leno saying that Leno has, you know, created let more errors that led to gold than anybody else. But if you're calling that Leno's error, I think there's a problem with your stats in the first place because 
he gets into a position where he makes a point-blank breakaway save, and then there is no one marking the runner when he was unable to get it around the post. That's not on him. That's on two or three different defenders that didn't track the runner. So, yep, I mean, like, exactly. yeah, like you say, there's there's just so many errors in those center backs. And then, you know, I sort of said earlier that I think um, Jacko will be losing his place fairly soon to Matteo Guendouzi because the penalty is just mind boggling in what universe is going to ground on that tackle. Why? What? When was that ever going to be a good idea? Yeah, I I don't. I, I it was so late and such. It was just. It was a horrible idea and it ended up costing you the game. Now, I mean, I know if you don't get that penalty, it changes all life events. The butterfly effect. Maybe you don't score two goals the way you do, but that right there put you in a two-nil hole at home to a team you can't lose to and you ended up eking out a draw but you're the home team especially in a match against those guys which i know probably was hard for you you're expecting to come away with a win yeah and i mean if you step back and you look at if you tell me before week one before we played a competitive match and you tell me that after the first four games have been played. I'd be in fifth place. I'd be two points clear of United, two points clear of Tottenham, two points clear of Chelsea. That if you take the non-contenders out of you know those top six places, I'm talking about Leicester and Crystal Palace, who are currently in third and fourth. You're essentially sitting in third, having survived. You know a trip to Anfield. You know you lose three to one, but you know last year it was five so you didn't get humiliated there by one of the best teams if not the best team in europe and you drew a tough game versus spurs if i didn't know the circumstances i might go that's that's not a horrible start um especially getting that done before the international break where we now have 12 fixtures that i would say it is possible for Arsenal to not only go unbeaten, but to win 12 fixtures in a row because of how the schedule is lining up for them right now. Now, I don't know what they're going to do in the Europa League or in some of the League Cups and these things that are going to start coming up as far as rotation goes. Last year, I think Emery was trying to sort of plant his flag by making the first teamers go and play all of these games. But, you know, I think you're going to see a lot of youth in these games and have the ability to rest some of these the first team guys and you're really your only hiccups there are united and leicester way out of 12 games that's it's got to be a period where you accumulate a lot of points if you've got top four hopes this season well uh looking at the schedule i actually can't tend to disagree with you and uh yeah so here, do you, do you have a final goal count for Watford versus Arsenal before we move on? I think, anything on the prediction? Yeah, I think I'm going to go with four-one here, or or one-four. I guess you know we're using soccer uh, scoring there. Home team is always first. Um, you know, four-one to the Arsenal. I guess we'll say it that way. Um, 
And I also think one of the biggest, one of the most important things for me out of that game is I really want to see Pepe get his first goal because he's played very well in terms of his dribbling and his availability and his movement and stuff in the, you know, in the minutes that he's gotten to start the season, but he hasn't quite had that end product yet. I know he got an assist for, for Lacazette already, but he, he just hasn't quite shown what we really want to see. And I think the earlier that happens for him, the better off he will settle for the season as a whole. So if it's two, one and Pepe scores, I'm happy with that. Um, but I think there's going to be there's going to be way too much for them, especially because what we haven't mentioned yet is that Watford have sacked their coach and are working with an interim manager as well. Well, there you go. I mean, that that looks like a game that's ripe for the picking, and that could launch you and into a very good position into the league, where a month or two from now we could be talking about Arsenal possibly in the top three if they they do what you're saying they can do but uh speaking of top threes we have a number one versus two matchup and Bayern isn't number one yes I know oh oh the pain and humanity oh the pain Uh, you drew a game how dare you (laughs) I know I know trust me I actually did think the sky was falling but uh you want to talk about starts and how we're feeling Bayern getting just taken to the woodshed against Dortmund. I, I mean, the, the the goal count might not have been as horrible as that. It was only two nothing, but trust me, it felt like twenty to nothing watching the game. It just no semblance uh, of a Bayern type team in the Super Cup matchup, and, and then you come in and you you, you face Hertha in Berlin and you draw two two. I mean, things look shaky. I'm not Is, gonna lie, I I was I was I was a little bit ready to hit the panic button, and uh, all of a sudden, we have a couple games where you get rolling three nil against Shock and four six one against Mainz, and now you're rolling into Leipzig down down two points, able to erase this whole thing early in the season and take the lead in the table with a win. How much of a, of a threat, though, do you think uh, Leipzig will be for you? Because you look at their start of the season, and it's not like they've played, you know, bottom-of-the-table teams. They've handed the only losses for, you know, three teams that are sitting quite, you know, comfortably mid-table and even handed a loss to Eintracht Frankfurt, who's, you know, sitting near the top of the table, is... Is there some concern that you're just not quite settled yet with the shakeup of the squad and that this could be coming a little too soon, too early for you? Well, I think right now, before I, I thought the shakeup of the squad was, I, I was wondering what the heck was going on. Because you got Lucas Hernandez playing center back, which I still don't understand. But the only thing I could say is it, he may be the best option for that second center back as possible you got soul and you got hernandez you, you got thunder and lightning to steal a term from uh the american football field and take it to the pitch because you look at your other options and pavard didn't work at center back they tried him it looked nasty you put him out 
at right back, and not only is he assisting, but he's scoring. And then you got Javi Martinez, who I'd be the most comfortable with, and Jerome Boateng, who, in all honesty, was one of the best center backs in the world when the, when Germany won the World Cup in 2014. And by 2016, Euro the Euros came along, and he looked like an old man. He's just turned 30. And he aged 10 years in less than two. I mean, even if you look at his picture nowadays, he just looks older. I'm, I'm starting to think maybe his birth certificate was forged or something because he is just not playing with the pace and strength that he used to. He, he was a guy that's like, okay, he's just a big, strong guy. No, he could run, and he could run down people, and that was the strength. You, you had to get past him just to get to the wall that is Manuel Neuer. Oh, man, but now Neuer's got the same problem that Leno has with your boys in Arsenal. It's the center backs just give up some horrible situations that no man can possibly recover from. You can only do so much and save so many times before the net's just too big and the attackers are just too good. Is there sort of like no good time to do this, but this might be the best time type thing going on here? Because you've got both of the guys you mentioned there, 23 and 24 years old. You've got it, which is very young for center backs. You think center backs peaking, you know, much older than anybody else out on the field, really, except maybe goalkeepers. You've got a summer where you've, you've lost Ribery, you've lost Robin. There's, you know, a lot of things are changing throughout your squad. Is this sort of maybe like the lesser of two evils in terms of it's the best chance to get these guys going and have them build something together? I I think it is because it's no doubt there's definitely a transition and you look at the offense and there there's a ton of firepower. So if you can just get your defense some semblance uh, of a shell in that middle because Alaba, great. Obviously, both in defense and offense. He hits free kicks. He has assists. And he, he was one of the big parts of when you had robbery going, he had, he'd had he make those overlapping runs. And then you had Joshua Kimmich on the right side making those overlapping runs and being so involved with the offense. And now he's now playing out of position in the midfield in something that's been toyed around with and not been as productive, but unfortunately there's nowhere else to put him because he paid a lot of money, lot of money for Pavard and his best position is at right back. So although Kimmich's best position is right back, he's now thrust into the center midfield role, which actually Bayern hasn't fixed since Martinez has gotten older and Bastian Schweinsteiger has gone away. I mean, you you look at when they won Champions League, a lot of that had to do with how their center defensive mids controlled the field. They got the ball back and transitioned to offense so well it allowed those attackers to get going and beat defenses. But right now, if, if you're asking me, that center defense, whether it's the, the center backs or the center defensive mids, that's where Bayern really has to figure it out if they want to take it to the Champions League stage. You're talking about Leipzig. I think they have enough 
to pull it off against Leipzig. Their offense is going so much, and Lewandowski's playing out of his mind. He, uh, excuse me, he's just being Lewandowski. But <laughs> when you got the foul power of Coutinho and you got Kingsley Coleman. Who, All right, I need to stop honestly, you there for a second. So what the hell? <laughs> because I, I I look at the squad, you know, your squad, going into maybe the last week of the transfer window is uh, do, I don't I don't even know how to phrase this question. Why on earth do you go after Coutinho? I have no idea. This is this is the only thing I could say, and based off what I've seen and what worked well for them, uh, Leon Goretzka he was injured a little bit earlier. You're hoping he comes back and maybe he can be that transitional center defensive mid that not only can score but can work and pressure the ball i mean don't get me wrong we also got tiago there's a lot of people in this midfield and then you even think oh well you just got even perisic too you got narby stepping up the narby i i'm gonna say his name 20 million different times so for those of you that actually listen more than after today you're gonna hear it a different time every time just get used to it uh (laughs) but uh no i mean why you go after Coutinho, I have no idea other than to say, I guess he was available. You could pay for him. It's that New York Yankees kind of method. Hey, do we need another guy that can hit 40 home runs? No, but would it be crazy? Yeah, it sounds cool. Let's go for the home run. And you're just hoping right now that your offense makes up for your lack of defense right now. And that would be my opinion. I mean, you just have so many people that you could filter through to just keep scoring goals that it makes up for those lapses you're going to have when good offenses come at you. Yeah, I just sort of, you know, I look, I'm looking from the outside and, you know, you get Coutinho and now all of a sudden, or, and Perisic and things that you had started to build with guys like <clears throat> Serge Gnabry, by the way. <laughs> Narbury uh, and you know Kingsley Coman on the wings and really showing sort of a, a dynamic 4-3-3 you sort of take a step back with a traditional 10 by going with Coutinho and he paid an exorbitant loan fee I mean the guy's wages have got to be nuts because he's coming from Barcelona off a 150 million deal or whatever the heck he went there for it just seems like I know you've got the whole New York Yankees, do we need it, but would it be awesome thing, but is it even really awesome? Well, I, I can tell you so far in his limited experience, it's been pretty awesome. And here's what I'm going to tell you. you. You're talking about all the cups and that, and are you going to play your starters and everything else? What Bayern has the ability to do now is they play – in a lot of cup matches as well as the Bundesliga. And you you can have, hey, I got an A squad and a B squad. No matter what I put out there, I'm going to have people that are going to make plays happen and can score goals. And that not only keeps people fresh, but what the hope is, at least in my estimation, is once you get into the Champions League, which you haven't been able to get over the hump on, you have guys running at their guys okay, this guy's been dealing with Kingsley Coleman all day and Gnabry, Gnabry, 
um, on the wings. Okay, Muller was in there making some passes, but now, hey, you got Coutinho running at you. Hey, here comes Thiago running at you. Okay, and, and then them facilitating Robert Lewandowski. <laughs> here comes Perisic, one of the wingers, a blow. I, I mean, you're dealing with a high-quality player at all times at peak fitness. It's like, if anyone gets tired... While the defender's tired, now you got this guy coming off the bench. And he's not just a super sub. He's a starting 11 on most other teams around the world. So that's the only thing I can think of is we're just going to come and wear people out with the amount of talent we can constantly put on the pitch and fresh. All right. So... You're at you're away to Leipzig. What do you got yes. there? I think it's going to be a close game. Like I said, I still have concerns about what the center backs can do. I, I mean, I know you like you said we have the thunder lightning thing going on, but Lucas Hernandez, he looked like he tried to muscle some people and he just got thrown off the ball. So if you got anybody coming at him that has any bit of strength easy to have issues and you can't always say oh hold up this isn't fair let soul run over and and guard you and we're going to match up that way and in the flow of play you got to be able to defend and i think timo Werner, although he's not doing anything scoring wise for the national team which is what i care most about he has been on a tear early in the Bundesliga schedule. I think he's going to score at least one time. You got the Leipzig crowd going crazy. Their their fan base is something that just popped up, and they, they relish that, oh, okay, bandwagon, whatever. That No, we're here, and we're here to stay. But I do think that Bayern continues that role, and they score enough goals. I would say 3-2 type of win to put them at the top of the table. All right. I, I'm looking at this one, and I was ready to say that Bayern probably has too many goals in them for Leipzig. Leipzig has scored four goals, two goals, and three goals in their opening fixtures. Nine goals in three games is a pretty nice return. Ah, ooh, yeah. it's, this one's really tough for me, but I still think, Byron probably take it. This one could be an absurd goal scoring fest. You know, <laughs> Byron coming off the uh, the heels of a six one. I'm gonna go with something ludicrous like five three to Byron. All right, hey, I'll take it. I don't care how it looks. Just give me a win. You know, I, I need something to look forward to this weekend other than the Jets having five people carted off the field. <laughs> all right that's the only scoreboard we can win right now <laughs> all right so that's pretty much everything we have here thanks to everybody that joined us and and listen to this we'll this, the idea is to do this on a weekly basis i guess i mean should, i doubt all four of these teams could ever have a buy on the same week and if that happens then maybe we should be here anyway just to talk about how ridiculous that is so We'll record another we can one find next week. A way. <laughs> we can find a where there's a will, there's a way. Um, 
exactly we'll talk to you after all these ones play out and uh good luck and thanks for joining us thank you guys please come back i i promise i get less annoying that's a lie but that's a lie you know, all right you know, you know you want to hear you you, you want to feel better about yourself by just listening to a Jets fan be miserable. (laughs) All right, and that is Hands, I Am Feet. Once again, thank you, and this was Football to Football.